The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Let's turn to Jeremiah 7 today. Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Remember how many times this is where he says, Thus saith the Lord. I've had a few people tell me how many might be in here and one is quite close. But anybody who can tell me how many marbles are in here to stand for how many times he says, I'll give you a present if you get near. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He's in the gate of the Lord's house. So he's right at God's house, which is where we are. We're right here at God's house and the word of the Lord comes to us. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lions' words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, and if you thoroughly execute justice between a man and his neighbor, and if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and you do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to you hurt, to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place and the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations, how, this, how has this house, which has been called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, said the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name, and which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the streets of Judah? And in the streets of Jerusalem, the children gather wool, the fathers kindle the fire, the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods, and they provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Therefore, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out in this place, on man, on beast, on trees of the field and the field of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. Then says the Lord of hosts, Add to your burnt offerings, to your sacrifice, and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, 
concerning burnt offerings or sacrifice. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and walk in all your ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their, their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. And if you'll skip down to 27, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You will call to them, but they will not answer you. So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. And if you could turn to Joshua 14, in contrast, in contrast to the people of Judah. And this is the story where Caleb and Joshua were the only two that went into the promised land and believed that God could give them the promised land. And we'll pick up this, if you will, at verse 10, where it says, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is Caleb. As he said these 45 years, ever since he spoke this word to Moses, when Israel wandered in the wilderness, and I am 85 years old, and I am as strong as I was the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so it is now. My strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Hezanite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you today for your presence with us. And Jesus, we would like to ask, would you please come right now? And would you just teach Bible study for us, dear Lord Jesus, by the sweet power of your Holy Spirit? And Jesus, would you go heart to heart and life to life? And would you open up the word to our souls so when we leave this place with this very difficult passage of Scripture, we will know that we have been with God. Now, Jesus, I just pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember in chapter 1 of Jeremiah, it's the call of Jeremiah. And God says he can equip Jeremiah for the call to share faithfully with the people of God who have backslidden and are no longer walking with God, the word of God. And Jeremiah passes his eye test. He begins to see as God sees, and he realizes judgment is coming for sin. Then in chapter 2 through 5, last week we looked at, and what we see is that God 
uses metaphors to try to draw people into an understanding of who he is, what he's like, and what he longs to have in relationship with you and with me, and what he longed to have in relationship to the people of Judah. And he uses the metaphor of husbands and wives. And Jesus and God is saying to Judah, I am like a loving husband who is longing to have a love relationship with my wife. And we started out that way, but then she rejected me. She turned back and she turned away and she went after many lovers. So that I am not sinned against her, but she has sinned against me and rejected me and has gone after many lovers. And God is saying over and over in those chapters, repent and come back, Judah. Repent and come back. But Judah doesn't do it. And so in chapter 5, he says, run up and down through the streets of Jerusalem and see if you can find one person who does right and does what's right and seeks truth and I can forgive the city. But God is in a dilemma. The nation of Judah is so backslidden. Jeremiah is hard put to find one. And so what obedience means is the Hebrew word when obedience is implies when I turn my face toward him and listen so that the people of God instead of turning their face toward God and listening turn their face away from God and refuse to listen and we know exactly what that's like with our children where we call okay it's time to come in and they just pretend they can't hear and they go the other way I've called you, Billy Coppage. It is time to come in. Do you hear your mother? And he turns his face and goes a little farther along. And finally, I put a bell in the backyard. And I said, if you hear this bell, woe be unto you if you are not here. I said, I am not going out the backyard and yelling every night for you all to come in. And you just want five more minutes to play. You are, uh, the bell's ringing. You get in here or you are in big trouble. And so God is trying to call them, but they are doing just like our children. They don't want to hear it, so they turn away. Now, what happens when you and I hear the call of God, even in Bible study this morning, and God comes to us and is calling us to a wider place of himself? I love that verse of scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, 22 and 23. It says, for God himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you and me through and through. Don't you love that? So your whole spirit, soul and body will be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, by the power of the spirit, can do something in your life and my life so freeing that he can keep us from sin the power of sin the love of sin and the guilt of sin and that he can remove the presence of sin from your life it doesn't mean we can't ever sin but it means that god can equip us to say no to sin and we lose our desire for sin because we do not want to grieve the heart of god we are in a love relationship with him and we don't want to grieve his heart so that what we're saying here and then the next verse says Faithful is he who calls you, he also will do it. And time after time, with meeting with women in the prayer room at the altar, they have said, and they don't even know they've said it, and I'm sure I've said it as people have dealt with me as God's led me into a wider place of himself. I believe God's calling me to something more. I believe God's calling me, he's calling me. 
And what he is, is doing just what he was calling Judah. He is calling them to a wider place of himself. It is not something more. It is someone more. Someone outside of ourselves that transcends time and space and loves us enough to die for us. Loves us enough to create a world that is incredibly beautiful just for your sheer enjoyment and my sheer enjoyment. Even putting in panda bears and crocodiles and elephants so that our little boys and our children have something so precious and fun to study and to look at and enjoy. God is so creative and so good. And the people turned away and said no. And when God comes to you today, don't say no. Say yes. Even if you don't understand all that he has for you, just say yes. Yes, Lord, yes. I will say yes to you. That the people turned away. And when you turn away, when I turn away, or when our society turns away, what begins to happen is what is exactly happening in these next chapters. In chapter 6, you see the personal breakdown of, personal breakdown of integrity. So that what you have is, God says, amend your ways and your doings. But the, there's a personal breakdown. When you say no to God, you begin to break apart inside yourself. And I do. We fragment. We no longer know what's truth, what's right, what's wrong. We no, no longer know who we are. We find our identity and everything else. There's personal breakdown. In chapter 7 and 8, it talks about religious breakdown. We choose the symbol instead of the reality of his presence. When we turn our face away, there is family breakdown. He said, there's, you don't, we begin to kill our babies. We begin to lie to each other. You can't even trust the people in your own house or your own house. And that the people that cause you the most grief are sometimes the very ones that birthed you, are the very ones that are related to you by blood. And you can't trust the very ones that you're related to by blood. There's family breakdown because we have rejected light, we have rejected truth, and we have rejected the way. And then there's societal breakdown. So that we haven't, Patsy gave me last week, a, new, a song that was written where it says no longer our children were sending them off to schools like a war zone so they can get killed or maimed and there's drugs and alcohol and addictions and free sex but they're refused what every soldier going to battle is allowed the freedom to pray and the song goes what's happened in America so that there's this total Total. So we enter into a, a, where everything is turned absolutely upside down because we've walked away from light, we've walked away from truth, we've walked away from reality, and we are choosing our own reality. So that in chapter 10, he says there's total breakdown in the society. You cannot even trust anyone. Last night in the news, it talked about the big corporations. Did you see it? They're so tired of having to spend millions of dollars of soft money to take congressmen and senators out for fishing trips so that they can get their... There's no light, right or truth in our society anymore. It's who pays the top dollar. And then I'll do... You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And it's wrong. So who do we trust? There's no one to trust. Because there are no absolutes anymore, we have rejected him. Now, I want to look at chapter 7. In chapter 7, this is the great sermon chapter, in Gen and the great temple chapter in Jeremiah. 
And and he's standing in the gate, and God says, go to the gate of the temple. And all these people have said no to God, but they are still incredibly religious. Sounds typical, doesn't it? And it sounds typical even in a town such as Wilmore. So So what we have here is they have the symbol, but they have lost the reality. And so... What they've chosen, he says, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Don't trust in lying words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. He said they've made up. He said God, they said judgment will not come to us. First of all, we're Jews, the God's chosen people. Judgment will not come to us because we have Jerusalem, the holy city. Judgment will not come to us because do you know what? We have the temple, and God would never destroy his temple. So he said, they said, We're, we can live any way we jolly well please because God's not going to destroy his temple. We're his chosen people, and he's not going to destroy Jerusalem. And God says, I am just something you know nothing about, and sin is so great that judgment has to come on sin. And he said, it is not in a city, it is not in a people who reject me, and it is not in a temple. And he said, you are looking at the temple as a rabbit's foot. So that if I just do my right dues, God won't let anything happen to me. And there's a little bit of this in American Christianity, in evangelicalism. And you just pray a little prayer, and you've got fire insurance, and you can live any way you want to live, and you can get to heaven. And the Bible says right here, and he says in verse 8, he says, you trust lying words. You say, we steal, we murder, we commit adultery, we swear falsely, we burn incense to Baal, we walk after other gods. And then we come Sunday morning and stand before you in the house called by your name and say, you've delivered us to do abominations. We can do anything we please because we've, got, we've just done our little token. We've said our little prayer And we don't want you to interfere with our life, God. We want to live any way we please, but we just don't want to go to hell. But then I've met other people who come from a holiness tradition. And they can say, well, I went to the altar and was saved. And then I went to the altar and was sanctified. And it was in 1927 or 1989. And then they are as carnal and as mean and as just pitiful as anybody who's ever lived. And they're going to get to, and God says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And the mark of the spirit-filled life is if coming out of you and coming out of me is love. Calvary love. Joy. Joy no matter what the circumstances. Peace, even in the middle of, of incredible problems and difficulties. Love, joy, peace. Those, the fruits of the Spirit, are the mark of the Spirit-filled life. And you and I can have emotional experiences till we are, are blue in the face. We can go to the altar until we're blue in the face. We can pray any prayer, but we have to get through to God until God transforms my will and He transforms your will and He breaks that will until it is broken into the full will of God. So it's not me and not God, but it is God in me. That is the incredible privilege of every man, woman, and child. That's why some here have given their whole lives to go around the globe to say it is a privilege. God loves you, and he loves me. He wants to indwell you, and he wants to indwell me. He doesn't want you to have a symbol. He wants you to have the reality of his living presence and the joy of walking with the eternal God. And so he said, you trust in a symbol. Jesus himself said this. He says, at my house which is called by my name, become a den of thieves. 
So all those church people are sitting there Sunday morning, and in the eyes of Jesus, he says, you are no better than thieves because we're not living what we talk. Then he said, we trust in symbol instead of reality. Is that true in any of us? Do we have an up-to-date walk with him? Then the next thing, he says in verse 16, don't pray for them. God's heart's so grieved. He said, prayer won't even work. Their hearts are so hard. And Jeremiah still prays, and God still woos them for the next, all the rest of the book. But God is so brokenhearted. He said, their hearts are so hard. And in verse where it goes in 17, do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wool, the fathers kindle fire, the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings and they provoke me to anger. And so what is happening here is the Jews have given themselves to false gods. So, and look at the family. The whole family is involved in false worship. And boy, that spoke to me. What is your family involved around? Is it involved around Jesus? Or what is... Remember last year when we shared the story of the preacher coming to the, the house of his parishioners and they were sick and the daddy was sick and the whole family showed up to see the preacher and the preacher said, before I go, I'd like to pray with you and read some scripture, but I forgot my Bible. So the daddy real piously says to his little boy, he says, honey, go get, your bo- go get my favorite book by my chair in the family room, the one I love better than any other book. You know, the one that I just love to read. And so the little boy goes tootling off and goes to the chair in the other room and he comes back with a TV guide. Because <laughs> kids don't lie. <laughs> now, what does your house rotate around? Is the main thing Jesus? Is there time every day with him? Is there time in the family and spiritual things? Are you, you and I controlled by our extracurricular activities? Would soccer be the love and passion of our life? There's nothing wrong with soccer. But if soccer takes you from church or takes you from Wednesday night or takes you here and there and everywhere, what is the motivating force in your life? And if your children were asked, what is the first passion in mama's life and what is the first passion of daddy's life, what would they bring? What would they bring? Not to the preacher, but to Jesus. And, and the whole family is gathering wood. The children gather wood. The daddy makes the fire, and the mama needs the dough to offer to the queen of heaven, the fertility goddess. And at the end of this chapter, they're, they're burning their children to the gods of Canaan. And, that, and Jesus, in the New Testament, calls it the place of hell. And right here at the end of this chapter, he said, the very place you worship false gods and burned up your children, your carcasses are going to judgment is coming, and your carcasses will be left here in the open air because of the sin that you have committed against your children. And women, if we don't have Jesus first in our homes so that he's the center of your life and your love and my life and love, our children will pick that up 
and we will slide from a walk with God and we will never know we've we've gone until we're in outright sin that we can't imagine. And you think, how did this happen? I read yesterday about a precious little gal who loved Jesus, had her devotions every day, and got in the habit of watching the news at noon. Well, right after it was over, a soap opera started. Well, she just lingered ten more, five more minutes the first day. And then she thought, wonder how... And then the next day it was ten minutes. And the next day she was watching it every day. And the next day they were planning... She was planning when she could go to town and do her errands around that. And then the next day, it got so she, their family vacation was planned around the soap opera so she wouldn't miss it. And she said, my quiet time got harder and harder to keep. And I was beginning to live in a world of murder, intrigue, adulterous affairs. And it started so innocently. God says, guard at the gate. And any woman that is creating a home for Jesus Christ needs to become a woman of God and a woman of prayer and to watch at the gate. And if God lays on your heart a burden for one child or a burden for your husband or a burden in the middle of situations, you stop and pay attention to the nudges of God because there is a definite positive reason for that. Do you know what Hudson Taylor's mother was spending time with friends and was gone from home for two weeks and all of a sudden, Sunday afternoon, she got so burdened for her 17-year-old son, she dismissed herself from the fellowship of her friends. She went to her room and the burden got stronger and stronger and stronger until she cried out to God for the soul of her son and labored in prayer for him. And at that very moment, Hudson was alone in the house, missing his mom, went into the library and picked up a small book off of a library shelf and met God. He was the great missionary to China for years and years and years. So that you and I need to be watchers at the gate. Are there any false gods in your family? Are there any false gods in your life? Is there anyone or anything you love more than Jesus Christ? Where do you spend your time? That's where, who you love or what you love, where you spend your time. It could be exercise, it can be knitting, it can be, it can be cooking. All those things are good, but what is the first love of your soul? Then the next thing he says in verse 23, But this is what I command, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people. And walk in all the ways that have I commanded you. Yet they didn't obey me or incline their ear, but they followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil heart, and they went backward and forward. They trusted in themselves. And the essence of sin is when I turn away from God and I trust in myself. And when I say, I think I can do it a better way, So we say, we trust in who we are. We don't trust in him. And we're not big enough to be God. Have you turned? Are you trusting in your own resources, in your own brains? Are you trusting in yourself? Uh, 9, verse 23, it says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, 
Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord God exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. You can have a Ph.D. from Harvard, but when you die and you face God, it won't matter if you've had, you have a Ph.D., it won't matter. And the only thing that is eternal now for the next trillion billion years is that I understand and I know him. <laughs> that I understand and know him. Everything else will be left behind. And that God is calling us to a love adventure with himself. And just like I brought Holman Hunt's knocking at the door in St. Paul's Cathedral, knocking today, the God of the universe, the God of the universe, knocking on your heart door and my heart door, saying, will you trust in the symbol or in myself? Will you trust in false gods or in reality, in myself? Will you trust in yourself that ultimately is not big enough? Or will you trust in me? I am the one that you were made for. I am the love relationship that you long for. I am the one that is available to you. Will you trust in me? Now, Judah did not do it. Judah said, no way. And they entered into incredible judgment to the heartbreak of God. And God did not force them. He does not produce robots. The choice for full surrender is yours, and the choice is mine. God opens his arms and says, come, but you and I get to choose. So my, Jeremiah said yes, and his little scribe, Barak, said yes. But do you know what? The people of God said no. That's the great heartbreak of Jeremiah. And in rejecting Jeremiah rejecting God they also rejected Jeremiah and the end of these chapters in chapter 11 God calls Israel Judah again and he says come back into our covenantal love relationship and Judah goes no and they turn their back on God and then at the end of that chapter what do they do they turn their back on the prophet of God and say we want to kill him Let's get rid of Jeremiah. And these are his hometown people. And they're getting ready to kill Jeremiah because of Jeremiah's faithfully sharing the love of God for his people and the longing of God for them to walk with him. And then in chapter 12, Jeremiah says this very pitiful thing. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Let, you, you let me talk with you about your judgment. He's very respectful. But he says, why do the wicked prosper? And why are those happy who deal treacherously? You have planted them, yes, they have taken root. They grow, yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but you are far from their mind. And he said, why are these quasi-Christians that they talk, talk, talk about you, but they don't begin to obey you? Why are they so blessed and prosperous? And Lord, why are they seeking my life? Have you ever felt that? Why did the wicked prosper? And here I am in seminary or trying to walk with God and things couldn't be any harder for me. But do you know what? 
This is chapter 12. And by chapter 39, it's all over. The judgment of God comes and Jerusalem is wiped out. The temple is wiped out. It is all over. What today appears like the wicked prospering or the half-hearted Christian prospering, the end is not yet. Our verse, wait and hope in the salvation of the Lord. Because what seems like the others just get by so free, it is not, this is chapter 12, but by 39, there are no wicked. Judgment has come, and they're either dead or have been transported to to Babylon. Now, we don't want to leave on that note. (laughs) Because it's a little bit, it's hard. It's hard. Because we don't have to choose like they did. We do not have to choose. And scripture is replete with examples of people who did not choose to disobey God, but chose to obey him. And I read you about, um, I read this morning about Joshua and about Caleb. And remember, God said, wait a minute, it's time to go into the promised land. You've compassed this mountain long enough. Let us arise and go into the promised land. Sent out 12 spies, and 10 of them said, Oh, we're like grasshoppers. The giants are too big. We can't obey God. And two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, No, let us arise and possess the land. And then in Joshua 14, Caleb is 85 years of age. And he is still saying, he comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, he said, I still don't have all the inheritance that God intended for me. He said, give me this mountain at 85. And Joshua blesses him and he gives him Hebron, which was on the nightly news last night as well. He gives him Hebron and and he takes it and he wholly follows the Lord and he drives out the Anak. He drives them out, and, it, and they're all destroyed at 85. They're destroyed. And so he gets a more a possession. And in the next chapter, it says, jo- Caleb, in the fifteen thirteen of Joshua, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord. And Caleb drove out the sons of Anak, Shishi, Ahiman, and Talmi. Then he went up from there. To Debir, and Caleb attacked Kirjah Sephar, and he takes it. And he said, I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. So Athniel, the son of Kaznez, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him his daughter, Aksa. Now it was when she came to him that she asked her daddy for a field. She dismounted from a donkey, and she said, he said, What do you wish? And she said, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also springs. And he gave her upper springs and lower springs. So you have a man who is wholeheartedly God's. He gets his, claims his possessions that God has given to him. He is not cheated out of them. He has something to give his progeny. And then his progeny comes with the same kind of audacity. And she says, Daddy, you have given me land and you've given me Southland and it's in the Negev. It is not easy land. She said, I need something more. I need springs. 
And do you know what came to my heart in the night last night was some of us, God has given Negev. He's given us a possession, but it's not an easy possession. He's given us a background that's not been easy. He's allowed things in our life, and he says, Today, will you wholeheartedly serve me, and will you claim your possessions in me? And when you, I have given you difficult things in your life, will you come and say, I do not want to turn my face away. I want to turn my face toward. And when you come, will you say, Lord, I need springs in these Negev, or I will not survive. And what does he do? Caleb gives to that daughter upper springs and lower springs and I think this morning God is saying if you wholeheartedly follow me I would like someone today who would claim their possessions in Jesus Christ for all that God has for you for all that God has for me so that our life would not be stripped away from what God has made us for and the person he has made us to be and to become and that if we are in difficult circumstances that God in his mercy has allowed we will use those circumstances to turn our heart toward him and say, Lord Jesus, I am here, but I cannot live unless you feed me on springs, springs in the Negev and God, and then wait to see how God provides. Wait to see what God does. And that is the exciting love adventure of walking with God, where God takes the most difficult thing and transforms it. And he makes the most difficult thing in our lives, the very things that draw us to himself and the very things that are redemptive for a lost and broken and dying world. You cannot get any better than Jesus. Jesus is calling us today, and I think he's calling us as women in Wilmore. He said, give me this mountain, whether you're 22 or you're 85. And then not only for just myself, but for everyone I love and for all my progeny here and those yet to come. It's no wonder God's blessings been on James Dobson. What did he do? Remember, he, he, his grandfather, three generations back, his grandfather spent every Friday noon praying for the family. The whole family would walk to, with God to the fourth generation. And you and I can be those kind of women that stand in the gap and those kind of women that don't turn our face away from God but begin to walk in light begin to walk in truth and begin to walk in full surrender to the will of God so that we could put a banner on our souls that would say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And the question today is, have you done it? Have I done it? Is there a personal breakdown inside you because you've said no? Go back to the place you said no and say yes. Remember the story of my precious friend, who came one day at 3 o'clock when all the kids were home. And it was a zoo. <laughs> it was a zoo. You know, some of you can identify. And she walked in, and so we were just talking, a little gal, and, um, I, and then I was just talking to the kids, and it was all mess and crazy, you know. And then the Lord prompted me. He said, Beth, she, I may have sent her for a reason. Oh, I said, honey, would you like to talk more ser- a little more seriously and big old tears? I said, oh, say no more. So we went, we left the chaos and went into the front living room. And, uh, and we just knelt by the sofa. And I said, tell me what God is saying to you. She said, well, five years ago, five years ago, I was in chapel at Asbury College. 
and she said, God came to me and he said, I would like all of you. And she said, well, God, I'll give you 90%. But she said, I've still got some plans for my life and I'm not quite sure what you'll do with me and I'm not quite sure. God, I'm just not quite sure. No, I can't give you all of me. Not quite yet. And she said, he said, well, all right. And he backed off. But she said, I knew he loved me, and he was calling me by name and drawing me to himself. And then she said, I walked out of chapel that day, and I walked out without his presence. His presence was still back in that seat. Because it's like your marriage and my marriage. If Al had said, I'll love you, with a 90%, will you marry me? I'd said, I don't think so. <laughs> a lot can happen in 10%. I don't think so. It's all or nothing. If I'm going to leave all and follow you, all or nothing. And so Jesus stayed back. She said, I have, I have taught discipleship groups. I have led the church choir. I'm involved with the teenagers. I've talked. I'm in spiritual Christian work out the wazoo. But she said his presence hasn't been with me for five years. And she said, I can't live one more day without it, without him. Do you think it's too late for me? I said, oh, no. <laughs> That is the sweetest thing about Jesus. It's never too late. I said, but the same question still stands today that stood five years ago. Will you love him 100% with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your body? Will you give him all of you? And will you send, surrender your agenda to his agenda? And she said, oh, yes. And we knelt by that sofa, and he came. He came back. He came back with his presence. Did you used to know him? Has it been a long time? Did you used to walk with him, and then he's come one day and said, Are you all mine? Will you love me 100%? And you said, No. Don't live there any longer. Jesus is knocking and saying, can I come in? Can I come in? A hundred percent. I want to enter in a love relationship with you. Let's pray. Jesus, you're too kind. You are so good. You are so loving. You don't want us to live in our sin in our delusion and in our darkness and in our misery wringing our hands and saying woe is me you want to come in and send cleanness and freedom and reality and truth and wholeness and holiness then it can only come from the beautiful person of God himself the one we were made for and our hearts long hunger for. Jesus, would you let today be a spiritual birthday in someone's life? 
Today they don't leave your presence here and go home. But they enter in to the fullness of full surrender in a heart that's all God's and begin a love adventure with Jesus Christ, the likes of which they can never imagine. A life that's redemptive, that's fruitful, that's absolutely beyond their wildest dreams. We just praise you, Jesus. In your name, amen.